praise you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Awesome. I gave you guys some uh, Bible notes tonight. Uh, you guys have those? Great. Because we're going to be doing a study tonight covering quite a few verses. The title of my study tonight is The Word on the Cross. Today, we study and we remember Good Friday. I am cautious to use the word we celebrate Good Friday as we look at the remembrance of Jesus bearing so much judgment and pain on the cross for our sakes. But there is a hope that God has given us because of the crucifixion. There is power in the cross. There is the reality that we are saved from sin and hell because of the cross. When you look at the account of what happened to Jesus, which scholars even verify of what he did to take on so much suffering for us. You remember that Jesus was with his disciples that final night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas and the soldiers, the priesthood, came to arrest Jesus. And Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. They took Jesus into an illegal trial. They put a bag over his head. And they beat him and said, prophesy, who is hitting you? From there, he was put in a place where they put a, a crown of thorns on his head and began to mock him and say, he's the king of the Jews. They whipped Jesus, 39 lashes with the cat of nine tails. And every time that whip dug into his skin, it ripped out the flesh. And the disciples were thinking at this point, perhaps, that their Messiah and their mission was at a, an end. That everything was coming now to failure. But we know that this wasn't the truth. This wasn't the reality. We know Christ had intended to go through this suffering so that he could free us. There had to be judgment. And Christ was taking that on. From there, Jesus was led, forced to carry his cross to the hill Golgotha, where they nailed him to this cross and they raised him up. Tonight, we have seven points 
as we studied the seven last statements of Jesus on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus has his first statement recorded as he's on the cross. And I titled my point, The Word of Forgiveness. In Luke 23, it says, beginning with verse 32, there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Look at what Jesus is doing. Even as these men are coming against him wrongly, these sinful men crucifying him, and Jesus prays for them. He's calling out to his father saying, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. They're ignorant as many of us once were. Before we came to know Christ, we had a lifestyle of perhaps being in the world full of sin. And many of us, before we had that personal relationship with Christ, were living on a workspace relationship where we didn't understand that Christ's forgiveness was available for us, that his grace would allow us to have a relationship with him and with God free of charge. Now this word of forgiveness, if Jesus could say this to the men who were crucifying him, would pray for them, would he not also say it to everyone else? You see, we get the privilege to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. And then that forgiveness, he removes the sin from our lives. So we don't have to live in condemnation. It's great when we are free from that guilt. You see, there's that difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is when we feel the type of guilt that draws us back to God. When we realize, you know what? There's something not right about these actions that I'm doing. And that broken fellowship with God takes place. That's conviction that, that draws us to the Lord. But condemnation, that's from what the enemy wants us at, is to feel that though we are children of God, that we don't have a, a place to come to him to pray, that we don't have a place to come to him to read our word. But Jesus is saying, forgive them. Look at what Jesus calls God. He calls him Father, that personal relationship. You know, we are forgiven the moment we ask for it. And the, the awesome thing too is Jesus died for the sins that we are going to commit in the future. 
So we don't have to live in, in, in a lifestyle of, of just agony, wondering, man, am I ever going to make it? We have that hope that Christ has removed the sin from our life, that we have been forgiven. One thing that we need to accept as believers, truly accept, is that Jesus loves us. Sometimes we have a hard time even loving ourselves because we don't believe that Jesus loves us because we think that God and Jesus love the way that we do. When we think of God as a human, when we think of Jesus as just a man, then we think that they love us the same way that we interact and love on others. That the love that they possibly have is, is conditional. You see, there is that agape love that is unconditional. That Jesus desires to, to give us tonight, that word of forgiveness. So as Jesus is hanging there, the first thing he comes out with is desiring to bring forgiveness to the sinner. Secondly, Jesus gives us the word of paradise. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the promise that a sinner who is about to die next to Jesus, who was previously mocking him, suddenly realizes, no, this isn't right. This is the son of God. Look at what he's saying. He's asking for forgiveness on behalf of these people who are killing him. This man is a just man. He's done nothing wrong. He has that moment of, of reflection, of clearness, of sobriety, and realizes he comes to himself and realizes that he himself is a sinful man about to enter into eternity. And that little seed that little bit of hope that he had that, that God would accept him, he looked to Jesus and asked to be remembered. And Jesus gave him the assurance. He said, you're going to be, today you will be with me in paradise. You say, he didn't say, well, okay, first you need to go down, join a church, get baptized, uh, get involved in ministry, there were no works that this man had to do. It was that simple free gift, that gift of grace that is unmerited. This is the promise that we have, that we have an eternity waiting for us. 
How awesome is heaven going to be? When you think of, of this life and think of the most awesome thing, the most awesome experiences that you've had in life, the, the most fulfilling, the most rewarding, the most awesome and the craziest joy rides and for me it's surfing and, and all those awesome moments. When it comes to the comparison of that versus heaven, we can't even compare it. It's like trying to compare the lifestyle of, of a caterpillar walking on the floor to then it becoming a butterfly and it flying. The caterpillar or the butterfly doesn't then begin to remember, oh, I really miss my, my spots that were on me. He's thinking, oh my gosh, I could fly. And that's what paradise is going to be like. In this verse, one thing we recognize is that Jesus is saying, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now paradise we recognize that there was, before Jesus rose from the grave, the Bible teaches us that in the center of the earth, that hell was divided. There were two compartments. One compartment was Abraham's bosom, also known as paradise, a place of comfort. And that other compartment was a place of torment. You see, the Old Testament saints, they would practice animal sacrifice and that would get them as far as getting their sin covered, not removed, just covered. And that would get them and grant them a place in Abraham's bosom, in that place of paradise in the center of the earth. They weren't being tormented there, but it wasn't heaven so the awesome thing about Jesus coming to this world, dying on the cross for our sins, granting us access to fellowship with the Father, giving us then perfection in, in eternity, is that when Jesus rose from the grave, he led captivity captive and took them into the heavenly realm where they are now with God, with Jesus. And Jesus is at the right hand of God. This is the blessed assurance that we have. The Holy Spirit is a sign, a symbol that we are looking for in eternity with God. That paradise, that heaven. And the most awesome thing about heaven is going to be Jesus himself. Jesus, the God-man who loves us so much, speaking with us, caring for us. He will have healed us. And that relationship with him is going to be the most emotional, physical, the most spiritual experience, great experience that we will ever have. So we need to be eternally mindsetted, not temporarily. Look at what we're doing in this life and realize that there is a kingdom that we are to be working towards. This was the hope Jesus was giving this man on the cross. The third statement that Jesus made as he was there on the cross 
was the word of caring. In John chapter 19, verse 25 and 26, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. When we look at this scene, I'm reminded of the account of, of, of Mary. How the angel came to her and, and said, Mary, greatly beloved, you're going to bear the Messiah. Don't be afraid. And he gave her the promise that through her, the Messiah would come to this world, that he was going to turn the hearts of man back to God the Father. And she wondered, what, what does this mean? And then finally, when her son was born, she took him to the priest, the temple, where Simeon, the prophet, he saw Jesus just as God had promised him that before he was going to die, he would see the Messiah. And he saw the baby Jesus, the child, and he began to prophesy over him. And then he looked to Mary and said, Mary, the son will bring sorrow of heart to you like a sword. Referring to what Mary was going to endure as she watched her son die on the cross. And after all those years, those 30-some years of watching her son grow and mature in the wisdom of the Lord, she then got to watch him be beat, put on the cross, and die for the sins of the world. As he calls out to her, woman, behold your son, when he says woman, he's not saying it in a disrespectful way. Many times a woman would actually be an endearing term and also, as he's looking at his mother to protect her from the crowds that are there around her, he calls her woman so that it doesn't bring any more attention to herself. He doesn't call her mother at that point. And at this point, he tells John the Beloved, his disciple, you're going to take care of my mom. He tells his mom, this man is going to watch over you. His earthly father, Joseph, had already passed away. And at this point, John the beloved, the disciple, was going to care for and watch over Mary now. We see that Jesus in his last moments, he was being selfless. In a moment when he definitely could have been worrying about his own needs. He was worrying about the needs of his mom, about caring for her. He gave Mary 
and John, that word of caring. See, Jesus cares for us. He cares for the pain that we endure in this life. He cares when we come into trials and that when we come into situations that make us anxious or stressful. Jesus desires to provide a way for us to live in peace and joy and hope. He is that peace. He is that joy and hope. He is that word. Jesus' fourth statement as he was there on the cross. I titled this one, The Word of Judgment. In Mark chapter 15. It says now, in Mark 15 verse 33, Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is crying out to his father. You see, God is a just God. And because God is a just God and because God is good and not evil, there has to be judgment for sin. He gave us free will. And Adam and Eve, they chose to sin. But God already knew. He knew he had a plan that Jesus was going to take on the sin of the world. And in order to do this, there had to be that moment where Jesus was offered as a sacrifice where he would take on all the sins. And in that moment, as he's absorbing all the sins of the world, there is a separation between God the Father and his Son. He's saying, why have you forsaken me? When you think of all the evil things of this life that we've seen, all the sins of the world, all of our own sins, all of the wars and, and rapes and terrible tragedies that this world and this evil men and women have enacted. All of that sin was then placed on Jesus where he was being treated as if and judged as if he had done those things himself. He was taking on the judgment. Now, with this, the word of judgment, though, we realize that Jesus did take on the judgment so that we don't have to. We don't have to live that condemnation again. We don't have to live in judgment. We don't have to beat ourselves. But we can live freely. And Jesus didn't stay there. We know that he had a plan. Fifthly, the word that Jesus gave from the cross was the word of suffering. In John chapter 19, verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things 
were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled said, I thirst. We realize that Jesus was a man who suffered. He was made into a human being. You see, the gospel of John teaches us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is Jesus. Jesus is that word logos, that Greek word. What is spoken. He is the carnation of it. The living, breathing, human form of it. And because of this, he became a human being. Like you and I. He had to face temptation. Yet he was without sin. He had to face pain and, and suffering, at times loneliness. When Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating the drops of blood and saying, Father, if there's any other way that this can be done, let it be. But nonetheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. You see, there was much suffering in the life of the Christ. I think oftentimes we think that suffering is from the devil and that blessing is from God and that's it. But that's not a, a hard rule that we should follow after. Many a times God allows us to go through suffering so that we can come out closer to him, stronger with him. In this world, we, we, we want to live in a society where there's no suffering, where everyone's perfect. That's what the world teaches, that you don't have to suffer. That everything is five easy steps so that you can avoid pain at all costs. But suffering was promised to us from Jesus himself. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But fear not, I have overcome the world. You see, there is going to be a day when there's no more suffering. I can't wait till that, that time when we don't have to worry about our physical needs anymore. When there's no more COVID, there's no more sickness, no more cancer. brightness and light. In heaven, it teaches us that God is going to be the light, that Jesus himself is going to be the light, that, that we don't even need a sun anymore. And we're going to be having this awesome worship celebration. And we can take that truth, that reality, that hope, and apply it to the place that we're at today in our lives. We have bills to pay. Oh, man, you know what? Jesus is our provider. We're, we're struggling in sin. Jesus is our righteousness. He frees us from sin. We're sick physically. We're in pain. We're hurting. Jesus is our healer. 
we're unsure about which way to go in life. We're unsure about which door to walk through. Jesus is our door. We're tired of this life. All of the plans that we made have brought us to a point where we wish we would have chosen different, picked something different. We wish we would have had a different life. Jesus says, I am the life and the resurrection. You see, when we abide in Christ, when we have that relationship with him, he gives us a new life where we no longer have to hate our lives. The old selfish life, that must die. But the new life that Jesus gives us, we can walk in it forever. Fulfilled. Which brings me to the sixth thing that Jesus said as he was there on the cross. The word of fulfillment. In John chapter 19, it says in verse 29, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You see, only Jesus can do this. Only he can say, it is finished. The battle is won. None of us in our own strength, in our own lives, can say we have made it. We're a complete man. We're a complete woman. We have arrived. But Jesus said, it is finished. The work, the whole master plan to get us sinners saved with God was complete. Jesus had fulfilled his mission. What he was sent on this earth and his earthly ministry, his human ministry to do. Jesus had fulfilled it to the very end. He did this for our sakes. We have that that victory now. Paul teaches us that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You see, we're not just conquerors through Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors. You see, as we're getting, going through this life, sometimes we're thinking, oh, we just got to win. We got to beat this battle. I got to beat this. I got to beat that. And Jesus is saying, I've already beat it for you. You are more than a conqueror. Go forward in faith. The victory is yours. Sin is gone, done away with. Provision I give to you. This is our fulfillment, is Jesus himself, his words. Lastly, Jesus' last words on the cross. He gave us the word of surrender. In Luke chapter 23, Verses 44 through 46. It says, Now when it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two 
And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. You see, again, through everything that Jesus endured, the whipping, the nails, the suffocating, all those scars, we're still going to see them. I've heard it said once and many times that the only man-made thing in heaven is going to be the scars on Jesus, his hands, his feet. He did this for us. But throughout all that suffering that he endured physically, which would kill and did kill every other human being who endured crucifixion. Jesus wasn't finally killed by the physical means, but he gave up his spirit. He said, it's finished. Father, I'm committing my spirit to you. And by saying this, we realize that Jesus was surrendering himself to his father. In like manner, Jesus desired that we would learn to do the same thing, to surrender to the father, to say, God, Jesus, I surrender to you. I commit my spirit. I commit my soul. I commit my body to you. I commit my desires, my wants, my needs. I place them all in your hands, God. And in surrender, there's freedom. Sometimes you might hear someone trying to to sell us on, if you just accept Jesus, he's going to bring all these good things in your life, which, which is true. Jesus does bring good things in our life. But when Jesus calls us, he calls us to die to ourselves. It's not just about what we can get. It's not about just our selfish gain. It's about surrendering to God who deserves our lives. It's not just about, okay, God, I'm saved now, so, so give me a ministry, Lord. Give me a family. Give me success and help me just be successful in, in all these things, all these ways. No, it's, Lord, here I am. What do you want to do with me? Going to God because he deserves it. Because he wants you personally. He doesn't want our works. He wants us. And the works will follow. I think there's needs to be in our lives every day more surrender. So tonight, as we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us, 
I want to ask that we would partake in, in communion, that we would, we would have a time remembering what Jesus did, but having that surrender in our hearts and in our mind fully and asking God to show us where is it that we are not surrendering. Let's, um, let's pass out the communion while we're um, getting ready just to remember that the battle has been won. sing this song and I'm going to pray and just ask that we would fully surrender, fully submit to what God has to do. us, Father, to just submit, Lord. Break through our stubbornness. Break through our selfishness, Lord. Forgive us of our sins, Father. We ask that your Holy Spirit would overpower us, Lord. Would flow through us. Father, we die to ourselves now, Father, so that you may live through us.
for healing. We ask that you would be our provider, that you would be our door, that you would be our light, that you would be our life. We love you, Father. We ask this in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You don't need to turn there. It says concerning communion, concerning the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's partake of the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's partake of the cup. service here in my backyard Sunday morning 11:30 come dressed in your Sunday Easter Sunday resurrection best and be prepared for when we say he is risen you respond he is risen indeed so we hope to see you <laughs> Sunday morning love you and uh, one more prayer Heavenly Father we thank you Lord for your love your kindness 
Father, may you be glorified in our lives. Father, we give it all to you. Accept our praise and worship. It's in Jesus' name. done for me.